So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 119. The largest psalm and, uh, or a chapter in Scripture. We're looking at right around 176 verses, and I'm not preaching every single one of them today. I'm not reading the whole chapter or whole psalm. We'll just read actually one verse out of it today, Psalm 119. The 140th verse, Psalm 119, verse 140. Psalm 119, verse 140. If you're turning in there, you might see some headings either at the beginning of one of the verses or in a section. And one thing that as we get started in this psalm, Psalm 119, of course, is written um, in a poetic form. And, of course, while we translate it into English and we don't hear the same uh, things that we think of with poetry where there's rhymes, uh, rhyming was not necessarily a part of Hebrew literature when it came to poetry. Rather, theirs was filled with imagery and their poetry was filled with comparisons. And so, uh, such as Psalm 1, the poetry there um, is not rhythm. Rather, it is the um, comparison of the wise man and the right, or the righteous man and the foolish man, a tree planted by the river of life. Um, Psalm 119, again, does use a little bit of poetic form. Um, and the reason why it's so long is it goes through the Hebrew alphabet. So you know how we sometimes would try to make poems using uh, the, the alphabet, each um, letter st starting a particular phrase or something. That's what happens here. Um, it goes through the whole Hebrew alphabet, and the first word of each uh, stanza starts with that letter. And uh, so we are actually at the beginning um, or in one of these um, letters, um, Psalm 119, verses 130, uh, 137 to 144, um, is part of the Zada letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Um, we're just looking at one verse, but the focus of it, if you read the entire psalm, is it is a poetic uh, letter or a love letter to the Word of God. And you will find in its scripture many familiar passages of scripture um, that deal with showing love and devotion to God's Word. So Psalm 119, 140, say amen if you got it. Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father God, we thank you. Lord, we praise you. Lord, we worship you. And Lord, we just ask that your name would be glorified. And Lord, that you would be lifted up through the preaching of your word. And Lord, that we would come closer to you. Lord, that we would... Uh, take your word and, and, and place it into our mind that we dwell on it. Lord, that your word would be hidden in our heart that we might not sin against you. And Lord, that we would live our life by it, that we may walk honorably 
and worthy of the calling that you've placed upon us. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen and amen. One of the things lacking in today's world among believers is a firm grasp of doctrinal truths. People just don't know what God's Word says anymore. Barna Research did a survey and amongst um, young college age and teenage participants in the survey, less than 40% of them knew who Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John was. When they were asked who the four gospel writers were, they could not name them off. And we've seen this among different teens in our contacts. They could not tell you basic Bible truths. And I believe that this is part of the fault of the church and the home. The church's fault because of the desire to entertain and to become a, a therapeutic center rather than a place of theology and teaching God's word and the home because they have decided to just leave it up to the church. Abby was talking to me the other day how in Sunday school we get your kids maybe for an hour a week if they're brought to Sunday school. Maybe six to eight hours total when you add all the services together and when you compare that to the time they spend in uh, public schools, private schools or whatever, in school settings and at home, it's nothing in comparison. There must be something done at the home level. And so this is something that is very, very discouraging and very alarming to not only myself, but countless leaders and preachers and pastors and teachers. We need to know what doctrine is. What is the word doctrine? The scripture uses it time and time again. I encourage you to read through 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, and you will find it uh, more times than you can count on your hands and feet. Doctrine simply is translated as a word that means teaching. What are the teachings of scripture? What are the teachings of the Bible? What is our message? What is the faith that we proclaim? What do we say makes us Christian? What separates the Christian faith, the true Christian faith from that of Mormons, from that of Jehovah's Witnesses? What separates the Christian faith from that of uh, Muslims or those in a Hindu is a Hindu Hinduism or Buddhism? What what is the difference there? What are the teachings? Why are they important? The teachings are things that we must focus on. We are even told in Scripture that the people when they heard Jesus preach and teach in Matthew 7.28 that they were amazed at His doctrine. It wasn't just the miracles at that point. It wasn't just the things that He could do for them. It was what He said that really made a lasting impact in the people's lives. The teachings that he gave that were counter to the popular culture of Rome and to the popular culture of today. So what we're going to be doing here in the next couple of Sunday mornings is we're going to be looking at the great doctrinal truths of the Bible. Doctrine, simply put, is nothing more than a systematic way of understanding Scripture. When I say that I'm doing doctrinal preaching, what I'm focusing on is these teachings of Scripture in a way that you and I can understand and see as a whole. 
We are looking at the Bible from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, on one particular area of teaching. I've said it like this. Josie, come up here. Come up here. Scripture, when we begin to look at it, when we see how, how Scripture is lined up, it's coming from the Hebrew culture, right? I already talked a little bit about how Hebrews uh, did their poetry. It's much different. Their logic is different than us. When you and I pick up a book using our way of thinking, chapter 1, if it's a manual of some sort, we read chapter 1 and it takes us line by line over one concept, right? We have what is called linear logic. A logic. We like that. I like A plus B equals C. You didn't know you was going to come and hear algebra this morning, did you? I like step one leads to step two, leads to step three, leads to step four. I like that. But what we see when we read the Bible is it doesn't say, okay, this chapter is going to be all that the Bible or all Christians believe about hell. Or all that the, and this chapter is going to be everything that you need to know about heaven. No, rather it's sprinkled. We call it a braided logic. So Josie, turn around here. When I'm doing hair, her hair is real nice and straight, right? It's how, how we in Western thinking like it. I can pull one strand out and that's one line of thought. That's everything I need to know about heaven or hell or the Bible or Jesus or the Father or the Son or the, uh, the Holy Spirit, the church, all the teachings about the church, what makes the church tick, why it's organized like it is. That's one strand, right? Am I pulling your hair? But what we see in the Bible is rather that it's sprinkled or braided logic where you take out a strand and you begin to twist them just like you would do braiding hair. And I don't braid hair, so pray for her. And when you braid it, you're bringing it around and around. Am I doing this close enough? I'm going to... She can braid it. I don't have time for you to braid it. <laughs> so you get the idea. When I braid, you see one strand appear and then another strand appears and then you see that previous strand reappear and it's sprinkled throughout there and you have to read the whole thing to know what it teaches on the whole thing. Josie, you can go sit down and braid your hair now. I gave her something to do. And so that's what we're looking at. When we are preaching through a book of the Bible or, or verse by verse like we typically do, we usually see different things sprinkled in. But what we're going to look at is the whole Scripture. We're going to get, it's like we're getting in a plane. And instead of looking real close at the trees, we're going to get a little bit farther away and look at the Bible from the airplane. We're going to get a large perspective of what the Scripture is teaching to each and every single one of us. And so today what we're going to start with is a question. What is the Bible? What is Scripture? If we are going to look at the teachings and submit our life to the teachings of this book, it better, it's probably a good thing, we better know what exactly this thing is. What is the Bible? What is Scripture? What makes it holy and what makes it so important that we would submit our life to it? That we would obey the teachings of Scripture this morning. We've looked at this in Sunday school literature. The past Sunday school lessons have dealt with this on why we can trust the New Testament. 
But this morning I'm looking at the whole Scripture and what does Scripture say about itself. First off, the thing that we learn about the nature of this book, the nature of the Bible, is that it is called the Word of God. What, does it, what makes it the Word of God? What makes the Bible the Word of God as opposed to a person saying, well, God gave me a song, or God inspired me to write this self-help book, or God helped me to write this poem, or, or God gave these thoughts to me. What makes this the Word of God that we submit ourselves to? First off, we see that the Bible is what we call divine revelation. Revelation is the direct divine influence which communicates truth from God to man. God is revealing something to us. God is opening our eyes to see something about Himself. Because otherwise, we would not see it. There are two types of revelation. There is what we call general revelation, and then there is what we call special revelation. General revelation is that revelation that shows us we can see God wherever we go. We see Him in nature. We see Him in the course of history. We see Him in the laws of mankind. We see God. And Scripture teaches us this in Psalm 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament show of His handiwork. Romans 1.20 says, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. We see in creation there is a God. We look around and see each other and say, we see that there is a God. None of this could have happened by chance. None of this could have just piled together and formed because of, of mutations and different accidents that bang together. This is the work of God. Therefore, Scripture says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That's general revelation, that I can look out at the Grand Canyon and say, this is a work of God, this is not accident, this is not catastrophe, this is the artwork of Him. When I look at Niagara Falls and I see the beauty of it, I see the precision of it. When I look at the precision of something such as how the earth is placed amongst the solar system and the, the calculations that went into it, this comes from the mind of God. But as Romans 1 verse 20 says, we can see the invisible things of God through the visible creation. It is not enough to save you. You cannot look at it and simply say there is a God and have a salvation moment. It does not redeem you by simply acknowledging there is a God. Scripture teaches us that the demons in hell know that there is a God and they tremble. We need revelation about more of who God is. And we call this special revelation. This is the specifics about God. And this is His Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 says, And that from a child has known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Why is the heathen not saved? 
Because they don't have the Word of God. Why is missions important? To get them the Word of God. Romans chapter 10 teaches us this. That how can they call upon the Lord for salvation if no one has preached it to them? How can somebody know that they need to repent of their sin and know that they are without an excuse because of it, how can they be saved unless they are sent to preach? For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so we learn about God, who He is, who we truly are. And through that revelation... We know that we need to repent of our sins. We learn our place. We learn about salvation. That's why 2 Timothy 3.15 says that the Scriptures are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. You and I have the Word of God, what it means to be saved, how to be saved, and you and I are called to share that revelation with others. This was the Sins are the, the condemnation against Israel in Romans chapter 2. They had the Word of God, but yet while they should have been teaching it, telling people not to steal, they stole. When they should have been teaching people not to lie, they lied. And they held back the rest of the Word of God from the world because they wanted it for themselves. And you and I, we can be guilty of the same thing when we refuse to share the revelation that God has given to us in His Word with other people. And so we have the revelation of God. You want to know what God is like? You want to know what God is thinking? You read it in the Word of God. You want to hear the Word of God speaking to your life, what you should be doing? You read His revelation, what He has told us. So the Bible, why is it the Word of God? First off, it's what He revealed to us about Himself. And what He wants us to know is here. What He wants us to know is exactly what He gave because He inspired the Word of God. The Bible is divinely inspired. When the Bible says that all Scripture is inspired in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it is speaking about a special kind of inspiration. It talks about how God breathed this out Himself. How God was able to speak through individuals. God prepared holy men of old to speak the Word of God. There were 40 different authors over a time span of 1,500 years to give us Genesis all the way through Revelation. God used that many individuals and without once having a contradiction. Why? Because it was God behind it. God breathed the words through them. He didn't dictate it in a way that they became robots, as in a, a ghost possession. Rather, He blew His breath through them, used their personalities, used their life to share what God had said, what God was telling them to do. It's kind of like getting Sam up here. If I got Sam up here and asked him to begin to play the piano, it'd sound one way, right? Then if he got on the organ, it'd sound a different way. We've heard Sam on both those instruments, right? There might be some similitudes because it's the same musician, but the instrument makes it sound different. Then we've also heard Sam on the drums. 
Same musician, different instrument. Sam can also play the bass. Same, or same musician, different instrument, different sound that eventually comes out. And that is how God inspired the Word of God. He is the same Spirit working through each of these individuals, giving them the life, the breath of what to write down, of what to share. And they spoke it out. They wrote it down as a musician speaking through the same thing, through these different instruments. And that every word of God is given by Him. Everything that you see in your Scripture is what God wanted there. There is no error within it. Now think about that. God... We already talked about it in the Sunday school class. God, the creator of the ends of the earth, sent his son Jesus to be like us. That's an amazing thing. But God, the creator of the world, this infinite mind, this infinite mind that is in God, speaking to us. Getting things down on our level. Can you imagine how much God had to dumb it down for us to be able to get it? As simple as we claim the gospel is, how much effort it takes for us to be able to hear it. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to the children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. We cannot understand the word of God on our own. Because it is too far for us. So for us to understand the Word of God, we've got to have the Spirit of God living in us. And He will give us His Spirit so that we can do His Word. Finally, we see here while the nature of God's Word is it's revealed, it's inspired, and it's a completed canon. Now some of you might say, some of you might say, well, well good, it's a gospel gun, Right? Is that, isn't that what a canon is? That's not what I'm talking about. It's not how it's spelled. A canon is a measuring rod or an official list of a catalog or books. It is the reason why we have 66 books. 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. Why these books? Why not anymore? Why do we not add more Scripture to today? It's because we... Understand, Scripture teaches that the Scriptures are closed. Jude 3 says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. That once meaning that the Scriptures are finished. 1 Corinthians talks about it in chapter 13. Talks about how that the Scriptures are finished. Revelation 21 ends that if you add any more to the Scripture or you take any more away from the prophecy of that book, you will bring upon yourself hellfire. And so Scripture is completed and inspired through the revelation of God Himself to humanity. 
And it is through His providence and sovereign direction of God throughout the ages that He has preserved His Word inerrant and infallible, not changing and without error and exactly what you and I need for living. 2 Timothy 3.16-17 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, is prompt for doctrine, for correction, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Everything you need to live a good life is in the Word of God. You might go to school to learn how to make a living, but you go to the Word of God to learn how to have a life. And to have life more abundantly. Why do we trust the Word of God? We look to the witnesses of Scripture. There's historical witnesses that the Word of God is true. History itself has proven that God's Word is true and can be trusted. One of my favorite ones is the story of the Hittites. The Hittites is a tribe from Palestine. From, from uh, You had the Philistines and you have, have the... Um, Hittites and different groups like that that the Scripture talks about in the land of Canaan when Israel went and they destroyed them. And up until the 1950s, nobody had found in their archaeological digs anything about the Hittites. And almost through that claim in Scripture, they had written off the Bible in the scholarly world. So we can't find Hittites. The Bible is wrong because it has an error in it. In about the 1950s, you know what happened? Somebody finally dug enough and found the civilization of the Hittites. And found out, oh, the Bible's right. When we haven't dug enough, when we haven't learned enough about our history, when we don't know any of these things, and we think the Bible must be wrong because it talks about them, we must not know anything. It's about like when people say, well, the Bible talks about unicorns. You know unicorn is in the Bible? And people say, well, I've never... We know unicorns aren't real. You know the Bible is not actually talking about a horse with a horn in its head. A unicorn would be a single-nosed horn. In that area, they've seen unicorns, rhinoceroses, and things of that nature having a single horn coming out of its head. We see stuff in Scripture that we say is contradictory, but when we begin to look at it historically, when we begin to look at it through the lens of Scripture and the time frame, we realize the Word of God is proven. Then there's the scriptural witness of it testifying to itself. Psalm 19, verses 7-9 through says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Psalm 119.89 says, Forever, O Lord, Thy word is settled in heaven. Psalm 119.160 says, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of Thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Isaiah 40, verse 8, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. The New Testament says in 2 Timothy 2.16 says, But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. 
2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Matthew 24, verse 35 says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Scripture testifies to itself that it is the word of God and that it is enduring and eternal. People have tried to destroy it time and time again. You can't get rid of God's Word. From the times that they tried to burn Bibles in the, in the 70s and in World War II and different things trying to get rid of it, to a person named Voltaire in the Renaissance saying that by a hundred years after his death there would be no more Bibles. And in fact, a Bible publishing society bought his property and now on top of his old house publishes Bibles. Kings and queens have tried to destroy it. False teachers have tried to corrupt it. But the Word of God stands forever. And then there's human experience that witnesses to the power of God's Word. Lives changed. The promises being seen as faithful. God has established His Word. And I've seen it come true. I've seen it come to pass. I've seen His promises are sure. I've seen the Lord's faithfulness that Scripture testifies about. And if I begin to ask you to testify, many of you would share how good God has been and that the Scriptures are true. So we see that the Bible is the Word of God. What are we to do with it? Well, the purpose of Scripture is revelation toward application. We're supposed to do it. We're not supposed to simply know it. We are to perform it. We're supposed to live out His Word. We're accountable to what we know in the Word of God. And we're, a, we're without excuse even if we don't know it, we're told. So we know it. God expects for us as His children to know his Word. You've got to read it to know it. You've got to listen to it to know it. Psalm 119.11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 119.47 says, And I will delight myself in the commandments, in thy commandments which I have loved. Verse 72 says, The law of thy mouth is better unto me than, the thou than thousands of gold and silver. Verse 97 in Psalm 119 says, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Psalm 140, thy word is very pure. Therefore, thy servant loveth it. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You need to know the word of God. You need to study it. You need to get its word in your mouth and in your mind. We're getting to a time where a lack of biblical knowledge is endangering this world. Where a lack of understanding of human sinfulness and salvation is not only endangering people for eternity but endangering families and homes in this present age. People don't know what they are. 
and think that they can do whatever they want to with their body. And they are destroying it. When I told you that less than 40% of my age group and on down, college age on down, know the four Gospels, they asked him another question and said, do you believe there is a God? And they gave him options, yes, no, and a third option, I don't care. And in my age group, it wasn't the yes or the no that was the highest group. It was simply, I don't care. They don't care if there is a God. They don't care if there's not a God because they don't know the consequences and the benefits of believing one way or the other. We need to know the Word of God, teach it to our families, so that we may understand it. Many people read Scripture like literature, but fail to understand the spiritual significance of what they read. The reason why many of you think sermons like preaching like today is boring is because you have no spiritual appetite for it. We want the entertainment. We want the preachers to give us wild illustrations that tentilate us. We want to know the stories. We don't know, want to really dig deep because we don't understand it. We want the simple things. Jesus, Jesus used parables. And they asked Him, why do you teach in stories? And He said, because people are so simple-minded, they won't dig deep. And if they don't dig deep, if they are simply satisfied with the little stories, they will never know My truth. And so He gave parables for them to ask questions and want to dig deeper into the hidden meanings of it. Jesus promises us in John 14, 26 that the Holy Spirit, He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. You cannot understand the Word of God unless God is teaching you. 1 Corinthians 2, 14-16 says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man, for who hath known the mind of the Lord, that, may, that he may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. Kathy sung a song this morning. You, have, you don't know love until you've known the love of God. You don't know truth until you've known the truth of God. You can't understand it. You can, you can, you can read about it. It's, it's, it's about like you can read what it feels like to be stung by a bee. But you don't know what it's like to be stung by a bee until you've been stung by a bee. You can know the Word of God and know the truth, but until you have submitted yourself to it and to the Spirit of God to teach you, you won't understand it. So once we understand it and the Spirit has given us light on what the meaning of it is, we practice it. Somewhere along the way we got the idea that all we had to do with the Bible was to study it and understand it. No, we've got to practice it. We've got to do what the Word of God says. James 1.22 says, But be ye doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Matthew 7 Verse 24 through 27 says this, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, 
I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Oftentimes our problem is not that we don't understand the Word of God, it's just we don't care enough to do it. We think that it's too much of a problem. It creeps into our time. It creeps into what we enjoy in life. But God says to be a person that hears God's Word and doesn't do it is foolish. And in the end, your life will be destroyed. But to hear the Word of God and do the Word of God is to live life before Him continually. To not see that destruction. So what is the Bible? It is the Word of God. It is His truth. And you and I are to follow it because it's wise and will lead us to salvation. It leads us to Jesus Christ. It's the testimony of Him. And so my question to you this morning is, are you wise or foolish? If you neglect the Word of God, practicing in your daily life, you're living the life of the foolish. And the foolish will see the destruction in their life. They will taste of hell's torment. But the wise is the one that listens to the Word of God and submits their life to it, falls down upon their face and repents of the wickedness and the evilness of their sin, repents of their ignorance, repents of their desire not to follow Him, and says, I want to follow God. And they take the Word of God and they study it and they learn of it and they apply that knowledge to their practice and daily living. That's the wise man. And there's no ifs or ands or buts. There's no great ground between it. You either follow God's Word or you don't follow God's Word. You don't barely do it. You don't hold just part of it. You trust the whole thing and do the whole thing that He tells us to do. Or we don't. And so this morning, maybe you need to come and say, God, I need to live after you. I repent of trying to live without you. And with that, I repent and I ask for forgiveness and for you to lead me and guide me. Submit your life to Him today. Submit yourself to the Word of God and follow what it teaches. As we stand this morning, maybe you've been living a rebellious life. You've, you've acknowledged that there's God, that there's Jesus Christ. You may have even prayed a prayer. But you've not submitted the rest of your life to what the Bible teaches. You've not... You've, you, you, you've allowed some secret sin to keep in. 
Maybe you've allowed some thoughts to be entertained that you know are not godly, do not please Him, but you've just not submitted that to Him. My focus in my entire ministry has been that we be spirit-filled and filled with the Word of God. For the Bible, we're told, is the sword of the Spirit. You want the Word of God in your life? Or you want the Spirit of God in your life? You want to have strong, victorious Christian life? You've got to have the Word of God in your life. You can't have the Spirit and not have the Word. You have to have the Word of God filling you, making room in your life for the Spirit of God to follow. So if you're wanting victory this morning, begin to look at what you believe about His Word and whether you actually practice it and whether you're trusting in what thus saith the Lord. As we bow our heads, if you'd like to come and pray, come. Our Heavenly Father, God, we thank You, Lord, we praise You, Lord, we worship You today in spirit and truth, and Lord, we ask that Your name will be glorified. Lord, we pray and ask that You would speak to hearts today and draw us closer to You. Lord, we pray and ask that You would just lift up people's eyes toward You.